Hi, my name is Divya and welcome to Articulate. Articulate is a podcast for students of art that I have started in order to create an archive and a community for them to dip into for ideas and inspiration. I speak with artists across continents and genres about themselves and how they see their art in today's world context. Today I'm very excited to speak with Joe Vickery who was the international director of Russian art at Sotheby's the premier auction house for art and jewelry. Joe had been with Sotheby's for more than 2 decades and is on the cusp of starting her own art advisory venture which will launch sometime next year. It's so special to be able to to gain first-hand information from someone who represents the other side of the art industry, namely the art collector. So hi Joe and good morning and thank you for agreeing to speak with me. <laughs> morning, good morning. How are you today? I I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, I've got my coffee here. Keeps <laughs> me going first thing in the morning. So are you a, a an an early riser? You do you kind of get your energy first thing in the morning or Well, I I, I yes, it's funny because my my husband's the opposite. He's a night owl and I'm the early morning riser, but unfortunately last night my 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 3-year-old toddler got me up at half past 3 in the morning. Oh my god, okay. Um and I was up for about an hour, so I'm feeling a bit more grotty this morning than usual, which is why the coffee comes in handy. Wow. <laughs> amazing so um jo um i we usually start off the you know podcast by asking the guest to say something about themselves um where they were brought up and their you know um education where you studied etc something a little bit about yourself yeah sure so i um grew up in edinburgh mm-hmm. um and <laughs> actually despite saying that i would never ever move to london um i i actually did when i was about 24 i think uh-huh. and uh, and i i've been here ever since right. uh, and quite quite happily so um i i studied uh, at university i studied modern languages russian and german right. um partly because my school i went to in edinburgh was quite academic um and it was sort of modeled along the lines of the prime of miss jean brodie that that kind of thing mm-hmm. and and they sort of discouraged you from taking too many what they called i think soft subjects which of course were things like art drama music Okay. You were allowed to, you were allowed to do one but more than that was sort of you know you was a bit of disapproval um. and I remember I think at one point in having told to change art um uh, my art higher to to chemistry which I did uh, okay. under under some pressure. <laughs> um so yeah um and uh then I um so yes I I studied German and Russian and and then I went to um Durham Tetchos Durham University. Uh-huh. And uh the lucky thing there was that there was this amazing tutor um I think we all get influenced by you know tutors yes, at some yes. point in our education and it really does steer its direction of you know can steer the direction of your future course absolutely and um they were offering a, a wonderful um course on German expressionist art right and um it was just the highlight of my week it never felt like work it felt like I was always just going into this room to have fun looking at paintings and it really opened my eyes um to the art the art world yeah. and and more than that um one of the artists that we studied um in fact was Kandinsky who of course is russian but at the time he was very much categorized as being german 
did obviously move to Munich. Yeah, um, exactly. Active there, but but you know he's very much a Russian artist. Um, but that was that was very lucky because I, I I encountered his work and it sort of opened my eyes to abstract art for the first time, which was for me it was a big eureka moment. It was so exciting. I felt quite liberated by it um, at the time, and um, yeah, that that's really when something clicked, and I knew that art was something I wanted to pursue. Amazing! I didn't know Kandinsky was uh, Russian because I lived in Munich for many years, and I thought he was like a product of um, upbringing in Germany because he and Jablinsky were like um, contemporaries, and they are so kind of popular in Germany. That's amazing. That's good to know. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that kind of um, introduced you to the world of um, art and art appreciation. So. how did it uh, go from there from when you realized that you really have a kind of emotional connect with um, art and um, art history yeah so i mean in a way i was quite lucky because i was the, the black sheep of my family everyone sort of mathematicians or physicists so it gave me a bit of a blank sheet in a way um i didn't have anyone sort of pulling strings or you know any sort of pressure i guess um uh, but that also created a challenge i didn't have any particular mentors in my in my immediate circle either in family or friends and 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 i did get quite a lot of discouragement from people who um i think because at the time and this is you know going back 20 more than 20 years um you know it was the art world was was very closed it was yeah. all about connections it was all about networks yeah. and and i didn't have any um connections at all and and i did get a lot of discouragement because of that mm. um that said i just knew what i wanted to do and i i suppose i just didn't want let want to let anything stop me um and so i just carried on you know doing what what one 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 does when you start out a career looking for a sort of niche um in terms of working in an auction house that um i i i um I yeah how did it happen yeah well i was always fascinated by you know all these stories um of sotheby's and christie's of hearing of the sort of van gogh painting making huge price i suppose that must have been the japanese of the 80s when they were buying oh. up um you know major pieces of post impressionist art and it was in the news quite a bit and i think it sort of filtered into into my subconscious and and i just sort of got quite interested in working in that environment and you know i did toy up different ideas of working with a mu- in a museum uh, more you know a state museum or gallery rather than commercial um i wasn't so excited by the commercial world at that time um um but i i i sort of read quite a lot about it. i spoke to people and i felt that working in an auction house the sort of the the unknown the great unknown you go into the office every day and you don't quite know what you're going to encounter right you know um mm. and, and and that appealed to me i mean it's you know to another person that might be a definition of hell people some people want stability they want they want routine um i didn't and um you know the auction world you know just really appealed um and also the international side of it then was quite unusual i think you know now after sort of 20 years of fast paced globalization we're all living in a very global world now yeah. but certainly wasn't the case then and but auction houses were quite international um even at that time so that again appealed to someone like me who'd studied languages again quite unusual in the UK <laughs> we're not very good at foreign languages and, and that here, are but... two really uh, tough um germanic you know 
really macho languages, I would say, German and uh, Russian, don't you think? <laughs> yeah, no, I was a glutton for punishment. Um, I did, I do love learning languages. And then, and then later, many, many, many years later, I met my husband who was Spanish. And I always kept saying, why wasn't he German or Russian? I had to go learn another language. So, so did you um, learn Spanish then, though? Well, I, I'm still learning it. I'm, I'm, you know, when you when you've got a million things on your plate with family yeah. and work, it's, it's not quite the same as when you're studying university. But um, I do speak bad Spanish, and you know, I'd like to speak better one day. But um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, great. So going back to um, uh, the beginning of your career when you wanted to get into an auction house, how did you even? approach that i mean did you have to uh, go into a do a course or did you want to learn on the job or did you have connections how did you even approach uh, yeah it's a good it, it's a good question like i guess it's probably similar now as to what it was like then i mean i you know because i had a, my first my ba was in modern languages i was quite concerned that you know that wouldn't be the right qualification to get into the art world um i I think, you, in fact, it's not, you know, the art world can, you know, you, it's having languages or other schools can be very useful. Um, so I don't think it would have necessarily stopped me, but I certainly felt the need um, to do more study. And I, I then did a, um, a, a master, it was called an MSc at Edinburgh University in Fine Art. Okay. Um, and that was a year's course. Um, I did a dissertation, it was by research. Um, and it was in the, the field of fine art, which was very lucky because in the UK, uh, we have a, a quite a flexible education education yeah. system. I think if I'd been in continental Europe, it would have been much harder to make that transition from studying modern languages to then stepping to a higher degree in, in a slightly different field. So, yeah. you know, it's very, very lucky with that. Um, I think that is one of the big pluses of, of our system here. Um and so I did, uh, I, I did research on a Scottish painter who went to Russia in the 19th century. So I sort of, you know, I married my interest in Russian culture and history with, um, you know, both my, I suppose, my homeland and my interest in art. Right. And it was the, the, the nice thing about that particular pro, I call it a project, that degree that I did, was it, it was quite practical. Um, I mean, I, I had to start tracking down... Uh, she was a portraitist. So I had to. I had to. As oh, woman artist. Wow, even Portraits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that she'd done. Uh, you know, and it, it. It was. It was a bit. There was some detective work involved, which you know, I. I quite enjoyed. Um, and and that again, I think, sort of led me towards more the business side of of art. Um, you know, the more sort of a more practical, perhaps, application of my love of art into doing something you know, vocational, okay. professional. So who is this uh, artist who you like um, went off and um, investigated and did a research on? <laughs> well, she, she it was a lady, it was a female artist uh, called Christina Robertson. And okay. uh, she was born in the, in the, um, she was born in the 19th century, begin, no, actually the end of the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century. Imagine and, uh, you haven't. I mean, I haven't even heard of her. It's like so sad, isn't it? Bah. It's very sad. There's, there's lots of forgotten characters like this mm. in the history of art, um, and particularly, um, you know, issues of I suppose gender and race come come into that as well. Um, I mean, she she uh, it was her, through her her uncle. Her uncle was a portraitist, Scottish portraitist called George Sa Saunders, and it was him that introduced her to art. Um, and 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 that was. You know, a situation I think in, in the 19th century was quite common for females. Um, that was a way that they sort of got into that world. Mm. 
Um, and I remember when I came down to London, I actually found the studio, which she'd, um, it was registered in her account book, oh which was held in the V&A. I know, it was an exciting moment. It's on Harley Street. Right. Uh, and I remember walking down and, and seeing the building. And I, I still pass it today, and I, and I do think about her from time to time. You know, when you do when you do research quite deeply into a, a historical figure, you do they, they become a little bit like a member of your family, don't they? You sort of feel you know a lot yeah, about them. exactly. Um, anyway, yeah. So, uh, um, I like to go forward and backwards. So, did you ever kind of manage to sell her works through your job and in in uh, the auction house? Um, sadly, I mean, there have been one or two watercolors that have come up for sale over the last um, several decades. Um, oh. Her work is incredibly difficult to find, um, and 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 actually, I think often probably misattributed because sometimes you know artists didn't always sign with their their name in those days. Um, or so, did they even have a kind of um, uh, what do you call it alternate name? They wouldn't want to acknowledge their. Uh, femininity isn't it yeah possibly you know i mean there were lots of there were lots of um i suppose obstacles and maybe yeah. prejudice yeah. i suppose there must have been much more than even there is now at that time yeah so um then um yeah so continuing continuing forward from your beginnings in sotheby's how would you my mind giving us a roadmap into how it all started and did you kind of work in several roles or was it like the same throughout yes yeah, so um i i went i went along the route after my after i finished my 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 masters in edinburgh i, I moved down to london um i, I was you know, sleeping on the futon of a, a family friend of ours who didn't have anywhere to stay Okay. Um, and of course, at that time, work experience—you didn't—you didn't get paid anything for it. I think that's all changed now, and probably that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, so, but lots work of experience was unpaid my internships. Yeah. Lots of unpaid internships. I remember at one point working as a as a porter at Bonhams. I'm quite petite and not very strong, so I really was probably one of the worst porters they've had. I couldn't move the furniture around. Wow. But you know, you, you're in the environment. You're making contacts, and that's what it's all about. And um, and eventually, after I, it, it probably wasn't even that long. It must have been about half a year that I was going from one sort of you know bit of work experience to the next. A, a, an opening did come up, and I think that you know the takeaway I have from that, and it's something that I you know I tell a lot of young young people now, and, and is that just persevere, be there because you know when when an opportunity does arise, it, you know they they know your name, they know your face, um, and you know you do you do rise the you know the top of the pile there's still more steps to go through after that but yeah. you know they you're more visible yeah and that that's what happened to me you know I got at one point I think it was when I was I was working down Lotts Road in London um uh you know doing sort of yeah I think it's probably was also working as a porter at that point um I got a phone call from Sotheby's and um, to say that you know a position had come up um in the russian department which of course for me having studied russian was amazing couldn't have been you know a better coincidence Absolutely. Um, so you know I, I went along had a couple of interviews and that and that was it you know so all those sort of i suppose several years it must have been about one or two years of you know really a lot of uncertainty about you know where I was going to go, how I was going to find a job um they all just suddenly dispelled you know and it was i think just the, like the a dream job patience and persistence 
you know, um, and just keep keep networking, and, and you know, eventually they you you might find an opening. Yeah. So, so I started off. Um, so I started off really. It was it was a you know I took any anything I could get, and I was covered. It was a six month maternity leave covered if, as an assistant in the Russian department. So okay. even with my two degrees and everything, it was you know it was a it was a fairly basic position. But you know that is the way into the auction houses, and I guess. I would imagine in other in other areas of the art market, it's still very much you know you have to start at the bottom. You're making the tea or you know doing whatever menial tasks there are. But you right. know you've got this. I mean, the way I used to see it at the time was you know I'm I'm being paid to learn in a way because you you know you, the learning curve, the learning experience that you have open to you just by being in in that environment. It's like an yes, apprenticeship like in the old days. It's like an apprenticeship, yeah. exactly, yes. Mm. It's very much like an apprenticeship mm. and it's the best way to learn. And yeah. even now with all the sophisticated art business courses that you can do, I still, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a tradition. I still firmly believe in the value of just getting in there, you know, rolling up your sleeves and doing doing an you know what's like an apprenticeship. I don't think you can learn, you know, in a, in a better way in a sense. So, um so how did it all um how did you move from doing learning on the you know the, the on the job doing um, odd jobs to an important position somewhere along the way yeah yeah i, mean, I think i think for, for me that the, the the hardest part was definitely getting a foot in the door i think i think once i had i think then if you're you know if if that environment suits you if you're you know in, enjoying it if if you know um, and if, and then you have to work hard. You know the, the the amount of work that I had to do in the early years was was crazy. I mean, there were days I was, you know, leaving the office at midnight. Um, it, you know, you, you have to put the hard work in, but you 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 move up. You know, if um, it's just it's just it just sort of happens. Um, there is, I mean, there is a thing called the sort of four year itch, and in, in, in the auction world, and you do tend to find that after about four years, there is a there is a bit of an exodus of people leaving who've perhaps you know I, I sometimes think it's it's a it's a two-way thing it's it's not so much that you know it's more that, that the auction world doesn't maybe suit them and they've yeah. maybe realized that and or you know there's you know they're also you know there can be obstacles to moving up there always are and you have to be patient as well and i, I certainly think that the, the graduates today um they want to get become you know the ceos very quickly <laughs> yeah. um I, you know we definitely expectations are super high and, and it's also uh, relationships with your peers and superiors, isn't it? That makes such a difference. I mean, that you, whether you like the job or not. Yeah. The art world is about it's about building relationships. I mean, any you know, I think in in many in many yeah. areas uh, in many professions that's the same. You know, it's no different in the art world. You know, you start off, you have this passion, you have this interest, you learn, but you know, the real key to moving forward is are, are building those relationships, networking, whether that's with collectors, whether that's with clients, whether that's internally with your colleagues. It, it you know, that's that's incredibly important. Right. So Sotheby's, I know, is divided into auctions, dealing, and finance. So did you do a bit of everything or were you um, more like dealing with um, art collectors and sales and uh, auctions? Or was it a combination? Uh, yeah, it's, it, it was really a combination, I think. I mean, the, 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 the further up you go, you, you do have to juggle all these different areas. Mm. Um, you know, in order to move up, you have to have a grasp of the figures. You have to, 
you have to understand the commercial side of it. Yeah. Um, but you know, you need to you need to you need to get to know collectors. You need to enjoy meeting them, talking about their art, um, interacting with them. Um, you know, it, uh, working with art collectors is a huge part of the job. And you know, for me, it's it's extremely interesting. I find collectors interesting. I collect myself. We started with my husband and I. We also collect, so we sort of understand a little bit some of the challenges. Um, and you know that is that is something in 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 the commercial art world that um, I think is, is is really is really key. Cool. So you work with um, uh, 18th century to the pre-Soviet uh, era artworks in Russia in Russian right? in Russian art. So how did that come about? How was it so niche and so kind of specific to that particular period? Well, it's actually changed over time. When I went into Sotheby's um, in the very late nineties, uh, it was it was very much that the focus was very much on pre pre revolutionary art. Right. Um, so yes, as you say, sort of starting in the eighteenth century or seventeenth century with icons, uh, Russian icons, yeah. um, among the earliest pieces that we we sold, um, and then up to up to really around the nineteen twenties. That changed um, over time, and um, so over the last twenty years, the, the Russian art market has expanded to embrace all the, all areas. Um, so, including Soviet art, Soviet realist art, contemporary Russian, um, you know, sort of what, what we call non non conformist, unofficial art from the nineteen sort of seventies, eighties, and, and just until Glasnost and Perestroika, and then the post Soviet world as well. So, it is quite broad. And, and, and that's certainly something which I find um, exciting about the field is, is that, you know, one minute you can be handling a, you know, a beautiful, very rare 16th century icon of the Madonna and Child. And then you can be looking at a conceptual installation by Kavakov in oh, the next minute. And, and for me, it's um, that, that diversity is quite is quite um, energizing. Yeah, and when I was um, learning about art history in uh, uni, you I know that um, post-war, all the European artists used to be quite connected. They used to be visit each other's studios, including the Russian artists. They used to be influenced by each other. But somewhere along the line, it has Russia's kind of, because of the geopolitics, and all that, even Russian art has kind of got marginalized and I feel it's kind of become a bit undervalued. So what do you have any thoughts on that? And do you feel kind of um, that is the case? Yeah, I mean, sadly, um, well, looking at looking at contemporary Russian art, that that is the case. I think if you if you're looking at um, Russian avant garde art, um, there's certainly been, you know, some you know, very high prices, a lot of visibility um, on the market for, for those artists, Malevich, Kandinsky, the prices have continued to rise um, over the last sort of dec- few decades. Um, but, you know, if you're looking at, if you're looking at, um, I suppose we call it post-war art, um, if you're looking at the period 1960s onwards, um, absolutely, it's, it's a, you know, that Russian art is in the shadows very much, mm-hmm. um, and it still is. And geopolitics, I mean, the political situation is, it, it is a factor. Um, I think that if you know the media, of course, the, the perception of Russia that's painted by the media is is it's just constantly negative and, and has been you know for the last sort of five years or so. Um, 
And, and that, you know, obviously plays a role in how Russia is perceived and, and, and how, you know, it just puts people off from, from wanting to engage and looking in look at its culture, yeah. I suppose. And, you know, it's all generated by the media, it's politics. And, you know, you, you need to, to work hard to go behind that. And to see what you know, cultural wealth um, and riches Russia Russia has. Um, so I think that has played a role in 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 this sort of yeah the the the, the, the perception the, the rather sorry perception of Russian artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know I don't see that changing quickly. Um, also within Russia, um, you know, seventy years of of sort of Soviet rule and where the only valid form of art was was realism, you know, academic realism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's left its mark. You know, there's a, that's a, there's a huge legacy. And that legacy um, sort of reaches down into all areas of, of the art world, whether it's, you know, studying, uh, you know, educational. I mean, the, the, there's, there's a lot said about, you know, the, the, the art education in Russia and, uh, you know, the post-Soviet world just being... Um, you know, very sort of stuck, stuck in the past. And, and that's still, you know, there's still to some extent the way it is. And that doesn't help. Um, and, you know, also today, if you look at Russia, most of the, the, the big, big projects in, in terms of creating new um, museums um, for, you know, show, to showcase contemporary art are being financed by private collectors and not the state. Right. Um, you know, and I think in the end of the day, everyone wants to see the state. They want to see the state, um, you know, the government, the biggest, you know, entity that there is in, in your in your country to be supporting the arts yeah. and in all in all different, you know, it's all all their diversity. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's you know that needs you know that's that's still a problem in in Russia because it's such um, an authoritarian rule. So probably that kind of um I mean, it looks like it's claustrophobic from the outside but I, I don't know if artists feel that kind of um, um in their in their own lives and that affects their own the way they do art in in russia and also if there is any kind of activist i know in music you have groups like pussy riots and all but then but then is there something like that in the art world you have people even using their art as activism i don't know i don't even know if it's relevant to sadhabis but then it's i'm curious to find out if um if they use art for other social justice yeah, issues well, there's been there's, there's been you know there is a there is a long tradition in russia of of activism you know um in art and that that goes back to the you know the futurists at the beginning of the 20th century yeah, a number of you know major russian artists you know who came go came up with all these different sort of crazy pranks, um, you know, which had a serious side. And, and that, that's, that, that tradition is there. And, and contemporary Russian artists today, they're very much aware of that, that they're part of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I do, you know, there was, that, there was that exhibition, wasn't there, the Saatchi Gallery, it was a couple of years ago, called Art Riot, which um, focused just on this subject um, and mm. looked at some of the artist groups and the artists working on their own who do, you know, incredible work um, in the field of sort of performance and, you know, um, you know, action art. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's definitely, a, you know, it's definitely, um, I would say, a strong trend within the Russian art world. Mm. And... Um, 
I don't know if it's a weird question, but how comfortable are you as a woman to travel to Russia and to other parts? I'm sure you go to other uh, smaller cities, not just the Moscow and the uh, Saint Petersburg. And uh, how comfortable are you as a woman? And uh, how uh, do you deal with large? I'm sure you do with large amounts of like insane amounts of money. And how? safe is it how comfortable are you traveling on your own and dealing with all that <laughs> well, because there's I, a perception you know, isn't I, it outside <laughs> i would i would say that i'm absolutely fearless i i don't i know it's it's a maybe it's a personality thing because it's never been something that's that's worried me i've i've been going to russia for um gosh too long um maybe yes <laughs> It makes me feel very old. Um, since I was a student, I think the first time I went to Russia was 1991, just wow. after the putsch. Wow, um, imagine. In August. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a country that's, you know, always excited and fascinated me um, more than, you know, than, than, than scared me and, as such. Um, and I, because I've been going there for so long, I've got many friends there. Right. I, I feel very comfortable there. Um, I always love arriving back in Russia. It's always... You know, are you perfectly like fluent in the language? And yeah, I mean, speaking the language, you know, it's it, it opens doors. It, it opens the doors to culture, to meeting people. Absolutely, um, people respect you enormously if you've you know taken the time to an effort to learn their language. Now, whether that's doing a degree or even doing a, a short course and speaking a few words, people love it, and mm. um, you you know you you can really connect. And for me, um, you know, I remember when I studied Russian, my, my, the, first, the first lesson I had, the tutor said to us all, you know, you're going to be divided into two groups by the end of the year. It's going to be one group who just felt, falls in love with Russia and one group who hates it. And, and you know, just it, it's not for them. And, you know, it's very true. It's, it's a bit like Marmite. You, are, you can't be um, ambivalent towards Russia. You've, you've, I, you, it inspires strong opinions in people. Or yeah. strong reactions and I and I, I love it I love the the depth the depth of its culture um it, it's a cliche but you know it's it's Russia is it's got one foot in Europe and one foot um in the east and and you see that so the mm. European part you can sort of recognize bits of your own culture and, and connect but then there's, there's there's a part of it that remains completely mysterious even to me today right. and and I you know I find that sort of I don't know maybe connects with my soul in some way um uh, I, I, you know, and it still inspires me all these years later. Wonderful, wonderful. So, uh, going back to one more question, um, in um, in Sotheby's, do you have like a formula or an index where you value artists, and is it done based on each of their works, or is it done based on um, an average of how their work sold over a period of time, and does it keep getting reassessed every year? It's a good question. I mean, it's there. You know, there are formulas that can guide you towards evaluation when you're looking at a painting and you're, um, you know, you're you're tasked with with, with putting a value on it. Um, I, I have to say that there's often difference of opinion. You know, we particularly at the higher ends of the market, you, you know, the more the the higher the value, the more people you have sitting around the table, and okay. and you always have quite heated discussions with colleagues about about value. You know, um, because it's not like well, I suppose if you think of real estate, you know, you're looking at, at the there's, there's well, there's always a isn't there? There's always a, a price per square meter in a certain area, yeah, yeah, um, and then you add a bit on because there's a garden or whatever. So it's quite formulaic. Mm. But with art, 
you know, you're dealing with original objects. Now, you know, I think if you're looking at it, it prints, for example, you, you, you can be a bit more um, formulaic about it, looking at past results for a very similar piece. But with painting, sculpture, you know, fine art, it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult. And, and sometimes you're dealing with an artist who's very rare and who hasn't been up maybe on the market for 10 years. So you can't then, you know, look back 10 years ago, look at that result and draw too many conclusions from it today. So there are, there is an element of subjectivity. Of course, you know, you're bringing in um, certain criteria, you're looking at condition, you're looking at provenance, that plays, you know, a huge role. Um, you know, you're looking at, um, you know, the size of the work can, can, can for, for many artists, you know, the bigger the work, the, the, the more expensive, it doesn't always, it's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's all these things that you bring into play. Um, and, and even down to sort of sometimes colours can be more, more desirable than others. You can have a painting that's perhaps slightly brown, even though it's a great work and a great period by the artist, art historically important. Is that something someone wants to hang in the living room, you know, and that can actually affect its value, even though it's maybe very important. Um, people love red, they love blue. There's been all these studies done by, by people, in fact, artists as well. There's a Russian um, art duo called Koma and Melamid, um, and uh, contem- contemporary artists, and they did a lot of work in the 90s um, and early 2000s on, on what makes, you know, a masterpiece, what is it? Right. Um, and they looked at things like colour, um, and you know whether people prefer blue paintings or red paintings so you know there's a lot of different there's a lot of different things in play when you're when you're valuing something for the market and i I have to be quite clear here that market value commercial value is not the same as intrinsic value or our historical value or you know cultural value that that is different yeah absolutely so uh, there is an element of surprise when a, a painting sells for millions and you're like, oh my God, I never thought that this painting would ever sell. Like you said, Alexander Yakoliev sold for 2.5 million 10 years ago or something. Is that, is that true? I mean... Yeah, I mean, we, we're always constantly surprised. I mean, it, it, it's, it more happens at the top end of the market where you can have a, a really rare piece, which, you know, uh, it, it just breaks the, you know, the boundaries of, of, of what you thought you know art could make and the art market does over time it 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 continually rises um despite fluctuations that you know you have seasonally and every sort of five years or so you have dips and 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 sort of rises but over time if you're looking at the category of masterpieces and i don't use that word lightly i do really mean absolutely the top of the the art market whether that's the russian market or the international impressions contemporary market um, you know, you, you have these, these, these huge price spikes and, you know, you, you get these new records um, set and it does take everyone by surprise. But it's, you know, it, you, you've got to remember that these are, for, for, for the, these are pieces which just tick every box that a collector wants. And, you know, today with this collector's, uh, you know, it's such a global market. I mean, that's the huge change that I've seen over the last 20 years. Yeah. You've brought you know, all these new um, collectors coming in from from Russia, the Middle East, Asia, um, and they've really changed. They've really changed the art market incredibly deeply. Uh, the size of it, the market is just expanded enormously. It's a far bigger industry than it was twenty years ago. There are many more galleries. I think there's something like nineteen thousand galleries. I read somewhere recently in the world today. Um, you know, it's the best, in, in a way, it's the best time to be involved in the art market, whether you're selling or, 
you know, advising or collecting. It's it's a very vibrant uh, international global community, and you know, prices you know do do keep going up. Um, at the, at the top end. Yeah, I know that the, the Middle East has suddenly shown us such a lot of interest in art and they want to have their own louvres and they don't want to have their own uh, major galleries. So do, do they look at uh, uh, art houses like Sotheby's as like the gold standard in in um, in art value? And do you think that um, an organization like Sotheby's would be more like an art influencer or do you, would you say that they're just like an investment house which just does um, art invest, investment financing in art and not in any other commodity? Do you think they are influencers of culture or do you think you, can, you should just look at them as investment houses? I don't know if you understand. I think this, uh, yeah, I think there's sort of two questions. I think that to start with, um, I think that Sotheby's and Christie's, I mean, obviously they're global brands and that really helped them above perhaps other galleries or more, you know, smaller auction houses to, 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 to really um, embrace those first pioneering collectors that came from, you know, far away, as we might say, or came from, you know, Middle East or Russia or, or Asia, because, you know, ev- everyone had heard, you know, everyone knows of Sotheby's and Christie's, they're, they're yeah. named, they're household names, yeah. particularly for people who have some in, in small interest in culture or whatever level. So, you know, they, they were seen as a sort of a golden standard. Mm. And, and you know, they, I mean, they are because they are, they are the most transparent public um, arbiters of art in, in, in the world. You know, you could go in and see uh, quite easily on the Internet what, what an artist has fetched um, at Sotheby's or Christie's. And, and that really counts for, you know, a huge amount. Um, but I think, you know, all across these regions, there, there are other other. Um, initiatives which are are now you know gathering gathering ground or or you know have they have this now decades of experience um and you know there are auction houses in in in, in asia who which yeah. are you know extraordinarily successful um initiatives in russia initiatives in middle east um so you know everyone's getting getting in on, on you know a bit of the action and and that's a great thing. In terms of your question about, you know, influence, whether Sotheby's and Christie's are, they, are, they, are influencers or is it very much seen as just investment? Um, I think, to take a step back, I think today uh, we've moved from a situation where, you know, 20 years ago, art critics were incredibly powerful at um, at sort of um, creating opinion and, and, and effect, you know, influencing people's opinions right. i think that's changed i think now you know it's collectors collectors are extremely powerful mm. and they're the ones that they're the ones that set the, the records in the end of the day they're the ones that are driving the market right um so that's a that's a big change and that's something that i find quite interesting um um, you know, I've had colleagues over the years come to Sotheby's um, from from the non-commercial art world, from from museums or galleries, and um, we've always started off having quite strong sort of um, arguments because often we would look at a work together, and I would say in very positive terms, oh, "That's really commercial work. That's you know, that's great." That and would, they would sell. Look at me <laughs> with green horns, you know, going, "What you commercial?" I mean, that you know, it was like an almost <laughs> like a dirty word, yeah. Yeah. If you say something's commercial, it means it's it's probably not got any intrinsic value, or you know. Um, yeah, I mean. But then they would that would change quickly because I think they would see that in fact at the auction houses that the level of art 
knowledge, appreciation is extraordinarily high, extraordinarily high. And and you know one of the one of the big um, I, I think advantages of, of that I see you being in an auction house is that you you see so many different artists. You, you tend to have a much broader knowledge of of um, you know not just the top artists but secondary artists, much rarer artists. You know you're used to seeing them a lot more. Right. Um, so you know I think I think. I, I do. I, I do feel that although you know the commercial art world and the non-commercial art world, of course, they're very different. Um, yeah. You know, realms. Um, but but there is a lot of crossover, and and I, I I like that sort of flexibility between the two. And you know, um, yeah. So, moving on, tell us about your new venture. What what is it going to be? Will Will you be dealing with? Uh, Russian art that um, is um, fixed to a particular period or will it will it be everything so what is it that um, as an art advisor you would be um, your role would be yeah so so after after quite a long apprenticeship of, of, two, <laughs> of two decades itself so, <laughs> finally I you're I so modest I, my god <laughs> yeah <laughs> um you know, I I I'm I am very excited to to be making these new steps, um, and you know, so I and I have thought a long time uh, for a long time about you know what would it be like to be freelance and to do you know to build up my own my own business, and finally that's something which I'm I'm planning and I'm doing, um, which will launch next year. Yeah. Um, so it, it's I will be um, a, an art advisor. Um, so working primarily with um, private collectors or institutional collectors, but also the plan is to to also work with contemporary artists. I've done quite a lot of projects over the last decade, um, focusing on Russian contemporary artists, contemporary artists from from Eastern Europe, um, post-Soviet world, uh, where I think they have a lot in common. Um, and you know, there's very little support for them. Um, they're still very much on the periphery. Um, so you would so, represent both sides. Yes. So bring them you know, together. I would work, work with collectors, but you know, collectors could be collecting nineteenth-century Russian paintings, or it could be somebody assembling a collection also of impressionist art, contemporary art. I, 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 I love variety. I love diversity. Um, a lot of the collectors that I work with most closely and have done so over a long period of time are, you know, they work in, in collect art in different fields, and and that's for me keeps things interesting so I'm not I'm not planning to limit myself particularly in any way other than obviously I have certain emphases based on my um, you know my own experience my my own expertise um, which I think is important absolutely so yeah that's that's the plan so how would you um, do you say that technology has made an impact and would you kind of embrace new technology in the way you work and now with your new venture do you think that um, it helps, it, it enables you to uh, do things differently and probably better? Or do you think the old ways are much better when you actually see the work and have face-to-face interactions? And now, of course, with the corona, there's, there's another layer added to it. But then um, how, yeah, what do you think of it, technology? Yeah, I, I think um, uh, there's, 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 there's place for both, um, for sure. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of excited and in awe of the, the fourth industrial revolution, as it's called. I think that technology and the art world, you know, they've come together relatively late in the, in the day. Um, but, but you know, we've seen over the last five years with, you know, online auctions, live auctions online, 
um, you know, the technology is there and it's been getting better over the years. It started off, you know, it was always sort of some kind of teething problems, issues, but now it's so much better. Right. And, um, and thank goodness, because now we will find ourselves in this situation, um, you know, the coronavirus world as it is at the moment. Yeah. And we have to rely on technology and, and thank goodness it's, it's, you know, it can help us. Um, and I, I do, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of interested in all these new projects, these viewing rooms that people as gallerists are setting up, um, which I, I quite enjoy going in to okay. look at. I mean, you know, nothing, nothing replaces the immediacy of being in an exhibition. Um, you know, it, it's like if you go to the opera, um, and then you're listening to opera on, a, you know, at home <laughs> on your on your iPhone or whatever it is. It's not the same experience, yeah, you know. Yeah, that's and, true. and that's you know, and I I do think that even though there's a lot of talk at the moment about life's going to change, we're all going to change how we work and this and that. I think there will be shifts, but I do think, you know, as soon as um, you know we can somehow um, fight this defeat this beast of this virus. Um, It'll be a combination, I think, I think of both. I, yeah, I, I think it will. Um, and, and as I said at the beginning, I think both. I, 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 I am excited by the possibilities of technology. I love Instagram. I'm a big Instagram fan. I think that you know it connects people. Um, it's great for the art world. It's very visually driven. And um, so competitive, though. <laughs> Instagram is so competitive. <laughs> it is. You're right, and in a way, it's so it's so big, isn't it? That you sometimes feel you know lost. I yeah. guess um, that's that is one side of it. Um, that said, I think it's done a lot to de- democratize the the art world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, so so definitely for me, building the business, yeah, the in terms of my digital marketing you know presence that that will be a, a, a you know a strong a strong much stronger in fact than i think it would have been had i had i been contemplating this a few few years ago but you know nothing replaces meeting people and seeing people um i've done that you know for, for the last sort of 25 years um you know i've made i've made my my career my life out of you know being a cosmopolitan global you know globe trotter and i know that you know, today globalization, we're, we're seeing all the bad sides of it and it's getting a bad name, but I just want to remember all the good things about it and reaching yeah. out to other cultures and people, learning about them and then seeing your own culture in a different way. Yeah. That for me goes on, that's never going to stop. I That's what I feel passionate about. And yeah. there's nothing beats, you know, flying out to see a collector, to see, you know, their in, them in their habitat with their art, the way they live, um, talking to them on the ground. You it know, sounds you like a dream job amazing it is. <laughs> well it's, it, and this is what i really uh, you know the only piece of advice i feel what about maybe there's more pieces of advice but one main piece of advice that i would give people starting out is you've got to follow your passion do what you feel passionate about whether you're an artist whether you're not a historian a critic or, or whatever um whatever you do um you, you know you've got to feel passionate about it because you know ultimately i mean i've seen over the last just several decades my my work has sort of become like a vocation it's something that um, means a lot more to me than just paying the bills you know i mean that comes into obviously and that guides you in certain decisions you make along the way and that's important um but but at the same time it, you know it, it is vocational and it, it's you know feeds into what 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 values you have and what's important to you in your life and and that nothing can can beat that I know. And it's so powerful. I think the sole role of influencing something, it's amazing. And um, and I feel, I have a feeling that your collectors and your future clients are going to be so thrilled that you're going freelance. <laughs> because I think it's 
going to be well, the nice, One of the nice things about being freelance is that you can be very neutral. Um, of course, when you're working for an institution, whether it's yeah. you know uh, an auction house in particular, you know the the very you know, you're very much representing you know their interests. Um, you know that's what you're paid to do. That's what you're there for. Yeah. Um, but but ultimately, you know, to be able to be uh, you know freelance and art advisor, you you have the whole. Um, you know, range of of, of, the art, of the art world sort of opens up, so you can interact with all the auction houses, all the galleries, um, you know, and on an equal playing field. And that, to me, is 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 going to be quite an exciting step. Fantastic! I know that. Um, you, uh, we are kind of at the end of uh, the hour and you have to go now but i'm so 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 thankful so grateful for your wisdom knowledge and time that you spent with us and i wish you all the best in your future venture thanks so much joe thank you so much thank, thank you very much thank you it's been a pleasure thank you